I am happy to share my story of experience, strength, and hope in Overeaters Anonymous. One of the reasons that I very much like to share my story is because it's a great reminder to me. Um, sometimes because um, I'm on the journey and it, it, you know, it's a day of absence, then another day of absence. After a while, once I got past like the two-year mark, um, I don't always think about how far I've come. And sometimes I'll have days or weeks that are not so great. And so going through the story is a really powerful reminder for me of everything that OA has done for me and, you know, kind of where I am. It helps me just sort of take my temperature. So I, I thank you guys for giving me um, the opportunity to do that. If I'm a little distracted tonight, it's because I have, a, I live out on a rural property outside of Baltimore, but uh, you can drive 30 minutes outside of Baltimore and be in the middle of pretty much nowhere. And I have a barn filled with teenagers celebrating my son's graduation from high school. We had all the grownups and family here this afternoon, and they're out there now. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to pay any attention to them. Let me start by qualifying. I came into the rooms of OA about three plus years ago. Um, at the time that I came into OA, I can honestly say that I was out of my mind and at the end of my rope. I had weight certainly that I wanted to lose, but what I really was was out of my mind. I had gotten to a place with food in my life where I would wake up in the morning and I would think about food. I would go to sleep at night, completely guilt-ridden and upset about whatever food I'd had that day. And I was painfully aware of how addicted I was to certain foods and most particularly the, anything that had um, sugar in it. And I went to a meeting online before the pandemic, probably a year before the pandemic, and um, could not understand what was going on, didn't know what people were talking about. So it was an awkward time. And I remember that very much of what it's like to be a newcomer or somebody coming back who hasn't been here for a while. What it felt like, I, I, I didn't know what they were reading or saying. Nobody really spoke to me, but I was a little fly on the wall. And I just kind of kept coming back. I kept going back to that meeting, never talked, never participated, didn't always stay the whole time. Um, and then I don't know how, but I discovered that there were podcasts. I was actually born in San Francisco. So it's kind of near and dear to my heart that I stumbled on a podcast for the East Bay Unity Group, which is out of San Francisco. And I started listening to shares and I'd listen to one on the way to work. And then I'd listen to one on the way home and on the way to work and on the way home. I did that for months and months and months. And it took me a long time to get up any courage to walk into an OA room. And I finally did. And the meeting was lovely. People were very welcoming and kind. I still had no idea what was going on. They were reading from a book that was being passed around. And at one point, it just got shoved to me and someone stuck their finger and said, this is where you read. And I had to read aloud something. Uh, but one of the things that the ladies did, it was all ladies, was they gave me this brochure, which I treasure to this day. It's a pamphlet. Where do I start? I kind of miss this about having Zoom meetings um, so much of the time now that, you know, without the person thing, hold back because I don't want to compromise anyone's privacy. Everyone in that meeting wrote their name and phone number down and gave it to me and told me to call them. And that broken, broke the ice somehow for me. And I realized that I had come to a place where I was going to be able to get help. I, I would say I went back to that meeting, but I never did. I actually found another meeting that was more convenient. And I started to go there with regularity and was going week after week. I 
learned about program and um, how it could help me and um, began to do the hard work of recovery uh, starting in that meeting. I was born to um, an unusual, to me, it seemed like an unusual set of parents. My mother grew up in a very affluent family in Italy uh, during World War II. She was a child who lived through the war, lived through bombings. My father was from San Francisco, but he was a military child. My grandfather, my paternal grandfather served in uh, the South Pacific. And my parents were very affected by war. They were very affected uh, by being brought up by people that had lived through um, the Great Depression. And um, I, it was just an odd combination. Now, my, my brother was actually born in Europe where my parents lived. My father had gone to uh, school overseas while in university. And my mother, who lived in Italy, had, had gone to Paris for two years and then had gone to another university in Germany where she met my dad. They lived overseas in Europe. And then when my mom was had only three months left of her pregnancy with me, they moved back to San Francisco. and um, Or at least my dad went back to San Francisco with my mom in tow and I was born there. Um, I grew up in a bilingual household. My mother didn't speak English when I was born. And um, we, we really didn't have much money. My dad became a college professor. and um, But I had this kind of affluent influence from my mother. There was an enormous amount of pressure on me from a very young age to behave in a certain way, to act in a certain way. I was taught that even though we lived modestly, um, that I was not like other people, that I had the privilege of knowing how to behave and how certain kinds of people live and that I was expected to toe that line. Someone said to me once that um, being an overeater, that it's a good girl disease. And even though I was a terribly rebellious person, which I'll tell you about when I was young, I do believe that part of the reason that I became a compulsive overeater was because from a very young age, I was told to be quiet, not to talk at the table, never to speak to an adult unless they spoke to you, to always be prim and proper and respectful and to be intelligent and polished. And, and I was just raised with that. And it, you know, everything from the symphony to learning foreign language to whatever was just stuffed down my throat and I coped with food. I, I think my earliest memory was when we were living in Virginia, which is uh, where my father finally settled at a, at a fairly prestigious university. Um, as a small child hiding in the closet while my brother who was super intellectual would sit with my parents and watch a show I didn't understand. And I would stuff my face. Um, I don't know whether you guys allow food to be mentioned. So I'll just say I stuffed my face with um, sweets. And um, I think I was pretty good for a lot of years in terms of behavior. But when I got to be middle school age, I realized I just didn't want to live this way. I didn't like the pressure put on me. And I began to act out in a terrible way. And uh, my mother did not respond well to that, nor did my father, because I was not reflecting well on the family. And um, I really, really, really ate a lot then. I was hyper and I had trouble focusing and I didn't gain a lot of weight. Um, I could eat mountains and mountains of food and not gain weight, but I was unhappy. And I knew something was wrong. I, I knew other people didn't eat the way that I eat. I, I knew people didn't steal money from their parents and go out and buy piles of food and put it in containers and hide it out in the yard and then hide in the thicket and, and binge after school. Um, 
I, I didn't want to eat any of the food that my family ate that was healthy. I just wanted carbs, sweets, whatever, all the time. And I felt better when I ate that kind of food. Um, I'll just fast forward a little bit. I graduated early from high school to get out of the home and went out of state and had a very unpleasant experience for two years at a college uh, where I really binged ate a lot. I did gain some weight there. Then I transferred to another school um, and was able to finish college. I wound up moving to Baltimore. I was able to get work and on the outside, things looked okay. I mean, I was thin, I had a good job, but I was unhappy about a whole lot of things. And that was when I began to maybe get into less than healthy relationships with um, men because I was looking, I guess, for somebody to tell me that I was okay. And a lot of my behavior at that point has been something that I've been dealing with in recovery uh, because it's filled with regret and sadness. Um, but one of the really good things that happened is I got a roommate who really struggled with her weight. And she was in something called Overeaters Anonymous back in the 80s. And she was really having trouble sticking with the food plan. And it was that you couldn't eat anything where sugar or white flour was one of the first five ingredients. It was really simple. And she was so upset about it that I said, well, I'll, I'll do that with you. And I did do that with her. In fact, she quit doing it uh, fairly early on. And I kept doing it for months because I felt so much better. Um, but I didn't know what OA was. And, um, you know, I, she eventually moved on and um, I got therapy and things got a little better for me. And I got married, had kids, had kind of a dream life, but I was still unhappy, was still eating a lot. Um, issues with family and family pressures would thank you, would drive me to eat. And um, I would often think about having given up the white flour. I was never somebody that did a lot of diets. Um, I will say that with my pregnancies, I ballooned up to 200 pounds with all three of my children and the weight did not come off. Some of it came off, but not very much of it. And I'm not a numbers person. I'm not a scales person. I'm not one of these people that, you know, is, had a magic number I wanted, but I'm a dress size person. And my mother looked like um, Audrey Hepburn. She was tiny. She was thin. She was petite. She, she went hungry during the war and the idea of overeating was just abhorrent to her. She had nothing nice to say about people that were obese. She didn't understand it. Um, she, she just, whatever. And I didn't want to look like my mom, but I didn't like the way I looked at all. And I was just unhappy. And I would keep trying to keep up this um, facade of, um, you know, everything's all right and being the perfect wife and the perfect mother and the perfect volunteer, et cetera. And I eventually uh, got a second career and started teaching. But several years ago, I really began to get sad again. And I was so aware of how my eating was out of control that um, that was when I realized I needed help. And that's when I came to OA. Um, I am fortunate to say that um, I became abstinent at that meeting that I started going to regularly. I was very careful about getting a sponsor because for me, I tend to want everything to be perfect because of the way that I was raised and I'm working on that. Um, but I didn't want to pick a sponsor that I would later have to have some sort of a neg negative interaction with. I don't like conflict. Everything has to look and be polite and perfect all the time. So I wanted to make sure that I picked somebody that um, I would be able to stay with. So I got abstinent, was abstinent for months before I finally found a sponsor and really started working steps. Um, I'm grateful for my sponsor. She has what I want. 
which is that she's peaceful. And I feel like I'm almost unrecognizable now as I speak to you from the person that I was three years ago when I walked into these rooms. Um, I do not have a strict plan of eating. I stay away from sugar. I will eat something that maybe has a trace amount of sugar in it, but um, I'm not super strict. I, I tried my, my magic number is six milligrams. If there's more than, I'm sorry, six grams of sugar in something, I won't touch it. But I have a host of other foods that have nothing to do with sugar that I stay away from because I know that if I touch them, I'm not going to be able to stop. And the recovery that I've had, my emotional well-being, uh, one of the things that was the first benefits that I experienced when I got abstinent is that I used to have what my sponsor calls the committee, this, this set of voices in my head that would tell me all day long, you didn't do that right. You need to do this differently. Make sure you do that. Get this right. Make a list you know, always be the person that, you know, is classy in the room and, and, and carries themselves with dignity and honor. And I hated that. And when I became abstinent, those voices went away. That's the great, I would say that's the greatest gift I've gotten from the program. And those voices turning off are what helped me to be able to work my steps. Um, my favorite part of program are the program tools. Um, my sponsor refers to them as the handrails that one holds on to. Um, before I even really began to work the steps um, thoroughly, I worked on using those tools. I don't use all tools every day, um, but I do use one or more of them every single day. I struggle with making phone calls. I still worry that I'm going to call someone at the wrong time or, you know, what are we going to talk about and how am I going to break the ice and whatnot. But I've found tricks and strategies that help me to do that better. Um, I love OA literature. I like uh, reading the big book. I listen to a big book podcast all the time in the car now. And um, that has helped me a lot. I miss in-person meetings. Um, I really do. I, I go to Zoom meetings and they're great, uh, but I'm trying to find a way to work in-person meetings. The very, very few of them that are available in Baltimore back in. I have a fellow that um, she and I met at a Baltimore meeting and we finally just met in person and we go walking on Saturday mornings for an hour so that I get one OA hug for those people who've been in program enough to know what that's like. Have a room full of people come up and hug you and welcome you home when you're brand new or you've been away um, is magical. And um, so I get my OA hug from her. I've never met my sponsor in person. Um, so it, that, that's a big thing for me right now. That's something that I'm working on is trying to connect more in person with people in my area who are in program because it's just something um, that I need. Um, I usually have notes that I read from here, but I prayed before and I, I wanted to kind of be more organic about what I would share this week. Um, I do try to attend one or more meetings a week. Sometimes I attend a meeting every single day. Uh, sometimes I attend multiples a day and sometimes I only attend one a week, but I always make sure I go to one meeting a week. Um, I try to make two or more phone calls every single week and I get asked to share my story, which I do with a certain amount of frequency. I try to never say no. If I can make it happen, I go. It really, really helps me. Um, I tend towards isolation, even though I can be very outgoing with people and tend to be um, not introverted, but I am actually I, introverted as I've learned in program. 
Um, so I work really hard to stay in touch with people. I love to go to OA workshops whenever there's a step workshop or um, I, I want to get to a body image workshop because even when I was really, really thin, when I was young, I was a size four. I used to look at my body and think you're too fat. And that's something that is, has stayed with me now. Um, some really cool things about program is that I'm able to accept compliments now, which I never could before. Um, I have great friendships with people that are much more genuine. I did let some friendships go that weren't healthy for me or helpful for me. I just kind of let them fade away. Um, I'm able to listen to people. I can go into really unpleasant situations where I used to stuff my face and uh, to just cope with it. And now I can go to um, a place like that and just listen to people. And I don't worry about what I have to say or, or do or think or act. I can just listen to people and learn from people. I'm friends with people that I would have never thought I would have been friends with before. I have a OA fellow that I talk to every day in another country. She is gay. And if you had told me that I would have a gay friend that I would talk to every day a few years ago, I would have said, not possible. I, we wouldn't have anything in common. How could we ever talk? But every person that I've met in program, I have something in common with. I'm a compulsive overeater and we are bonded together. And I can say things to people in program that I would never say to anybody outside of program. Um, as I said, I have that beautiful clarity of mind. Um, I'm able to um, wait for things to happen. I'm able to pray and then just kind of be still, which I couldn't do before. I do meditate a fair amount. And then I think I will just close with this one last thing. Um, and that would be about steps. I work really slowly on steps, really, really slowly. Uh, some people may find this comical, but um, you know, here I am three years in the rooms and I am on step eight. And that's just where I am. My sponsor and I just grind through these things so slowly. Uh, when she met me, she said to me, you know, you have guilt on guilt on guilt on guilt. And so it has taken a long time to kind of work through things and sort through things. We have not blazed through. I, I've met people in program who've done all 12 steps in 30 days. And I think that's great. That's just not been my thing. I don't sponsor that way. I am a step sponsor and I have sponsees. And we move very, very slowly and methodically not on purpose. It just seems to go that way. And um, I'm really at peace about that. I don't compare myself to people, which I did a lot when I was um, in the food. I, I am the way that I am and I'm content with it. And I can thank away for that. And I'm sure I've forgotten a million things to tell you, but um, that's what I have to share with you today. OA has just given me a new life and it, it's not always perfect. I'm not happy, joyous and free every single day. But I do have days when I'm happy, joyous, and free. And I had none of them before. I had days of pretending. So um, I see this bright light at the end of the tunnel. And I just keep walking forward. And things will come to me when they come to me. And I'm totally fine with that. So thank you so much for letting me come and for sharing a little bit of my story with you.